we believe the last song? Simple enough. Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. How are we this morning on this wonderful, beautiful, and bright, sunny Sunday morning? Good? Wow, there's a lot of kind of hesitant. But regardless, could you please stand and worship along with us? Oh, we look to the sun. Sorry, even though I know the song, I just want to make sure that we have. <laughs> I know, you, you guys want to sing along, right? Exactly. Come on. This is not a solo piece, this is crowd participation. All right, let's try that again. Oh, we look to the sun. Kingdom burst into color at the speed of light. Freedom, freedom, shaping up the atmosphere. As the shadows fade into nothing as the day appears. Beyond the skies above, love reaching out. Shine like the rising sun. 
Ephesians 4.32 reminds us, and to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come together to worship this morning. And Lord, we're thankful that you showed the ultimate example of forgiveness by forgiving us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we're singing praises and lifting him up today together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Glad that you've uh, chosen to worship with us today as we lift up the Lord together this morning. Please make sure if you have the, when you have the opportunity to fill out your connection card. And if you're online watching us, you can do it online. There's a phone number right underneath the, underneath the picture where you can do that. We are glad that you've chosen to be with us today. And the praise team is going to continue uh, leading us in song this morning. Wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon. 
There's joy in the 
ask you a question it's probably I mean I, I got a lot of dumb questions but they say there's never a dumb question but I, I can come up with a lot of them but uh, I'm going to ask you a question have you ever lost something oh man was it something that you loved and valued uh, there she is yeah well you're not alone obviously Woo-hoo! There was a study done in 2017, I guess somebody didn't have anything better to do, or maybe they lost stuff and decided to check it out. But there was a survey done of Americans, and they say in this study that Americans, the average American spends 2.5 days a year looking for misplaced items. Now, the misplaced items, the most misplaced are TV remotes, 45%. Can you get an amen on that one? Uh, phones, 33%. By the way, since I don't have kids in the house, the TV remote's easier to find. Cars and keys, I thought this would be higher at 28%. I don't know how you can lose your glasses because I can't see well about mine. 27%. Shoes, 24%. Wallets slash purses, 20%. Now, in the course of this study, what they found is not all items were found, and they said that the total cost of replacing these is a whopping $2.7 billion a year to replace them. Yeah, I know. I think somebody's coming in and taking my stuff, so I have to go buy more. I'm not sure what's up with that. But, uh, and one thing that surprised me about that, only 2.5 days a year, seriously? You've been around me? I wish it was just 2.5 days. On another level, you ever lost a pet? I don't mean the pet died, but got out, and you lost it. And when the pet got out, what, what runs through your mind? Um, when you love that pet, you hurt for it, because you're, you're missing it. You're afraid something's happening to it. And so what you do is you pray for that pet, and you do whatever you can. As a matter of fact, all the time I see uh, poster or uh, advertisements on Facebook, not advertisements, but posts on Facebook about people who've lost an animal. And just for you cat people, the easy way not to lose them is keep them in the house. Just a little, little hint for you. But when you think about it, when these people are losing their cats and their dogs, why are they looking for them? Why do they care? Because, I mean, really, there are plenty of other cats and dogs out there that you can replace them with, right? 
I mean, the shelter, we got plenty of it. We got a lot. Matter of fact, we just had four kittens this morning. It's awesome. They're so cute. Yeah, we're up to like 11 or 12. I you know, let's see, 11, 15. I think we have 15 kittens now. But anyway, do you know why? What's that? Yeah. We can hook you up. But when we lose a pet, when it gets away from us, do you know why we don't just say, well, you know, that's fluffy. I'll go get another one and call him fluffy too. It's because we care and we love them. See, Jesus is going to use this parable, the, the second or the third of these, to explain to the Pharisees, you guys are complaining that I'm eating with sinners, and I love this one, tax collectors. You're all complaining about this. I'm going to tell you why I'm doing it. And the other thing that we see in the parable of the lost coin, once again, we understand that we're all valuable to God. There are billions of people that have been on the planet since, since God created, but there's only one you. It's like Fluffy. There's only one Fluffy. You can get 20 other cats that look like Fluffy, but there was only one. There's only one you, and you're valuable. You're one of a kind. You know, in the art world and these other places, if there's like a unique piece and it's the only one, it's going to be worth more. And so when God looks at you, you are unique. Even though there are billions of other people that have been in existence, you are unique. And what happens is when, when, when one of us is lost... Just like the woman in the story that we're going to look at, God searches for us. And when we're found, there's a celebration, there's joy. In our lives, it's really easy to feel disconnected from God. Things happen, um, rough times come, we experience a loss. We, it could be health, a loved one, it could be our jobs, there's so many things. We can feel such a disconnect. And we can think that, you know what, it's so rough right now that nobody really loves me. Nobody really cares. You ever felt that way? I've felt that way before. Well, the thing we have to remember is even in the depths of that, there's someone who does care and someone who doesn't not give up on you. When we feel lost, when we're lost, we can feel cold and lonely. Feeling disconnected is not a good thing. Just imagine in your own house if you feel disconnected from your spouse not a good thing. Well, it's not a good thing from, to be disconnected from God. And as much as you love Fluffy when he, when he or she, well, when she got out, because Fluffy's probably a girl name, although I don't want to discriminate, um, you, um, you hurt. And this is how God feels. Because you're his Fluffy. <laughs> he, <laughs> he loves you. And when you're lost, he hurts. He doesn't think, well, I got a billion other people or however many billion people have existed since the creation. He wants you. He wants you. Today we're going to look at the parable of the lost coin together. And you will see some similarities, obviously, from last, uh, last week's parable. Uh, that's why I would have rather just had Jerry preach this one and I would take next week, but it didn't work that way. But this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. And we're going to begin with verse 8, and it tells us this. Now, this is on the heels of the, the lost sheep. And he goes on, Jesus says, Or what woman, if she has lost, excuse me, has ten silver coins and loses one of them, does not, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search thoroughly until she finds it? So what we're going to begin with here is a time to panic. When we lose something important, like most of us, we drop a penny on the ground or we lose a penny out of our pocket, we're like, ah, eh, whatever. But if you lose a thousand bucks or $10,000, I suspect you're going to feel a sense of panic. 
You know, speaking of panic, I don't even open my retirement statements anymore because I don't want to throw up. But uh, anyway, hopefully that will change soon. But um, when you lose something that's of value to you, there's a sense of panic. An example, years ago, now some of you don't remember these days because I'm getting old, but back in the day, get off my lawn type story, um, we used to get an actual paycheck. And then it was given to us, on, on, for us it was on Friday, every Friday at the company they give us a paycheck. And what we would do is at our lunch break, a lot of us, which was about 7, 7.30 at night, depending on your, the rotation you were on, we would go to Gerbs, the food store there, and cash our checks. And as I look back at it, why did we do that? That was just stupid. Well, one day I did that, and I did it many times with this. One day I did it, and I'm working, and all of a sudden I reach back, and I don't carry a wallet anymore, but I, I reached back for my wallet that was gone. My whole week's salary in cash was in that wallet, and I was freaking out. I'm like, how, you know, I didn't want to go home to my wife and say, well, you know, I just lost our, my salary for this week because I was stupid. But anyway, and careless, but man, I was freaking out. And I thought, oh man, how's this going to work? I'm a, and I'm just going crazy. And I thought, you know what? I went to the bathroom. I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to go check. So I go into the bathroom, look in the salt, and there it is. It's lying on the ground. It dropped out of my pocket. And fortunately, nobody else found it because if they did, it would have been empty. But I got everything back. And I searched. I was searching to find that thing, and I was so happy when I found it. That wallet had everything in it. And so when we, ha when we lose something that we value, we can have a sense of panic. The woman in our parable loses one of her 10 silver coins, and it was causing her to panic. Now, the silver coin in itself was worth about a day's worth of wages for the common laborer that time, about 17 and a half cents. It cracks me up when my grandparents used to say, yeah, we used to, we'd get paid $5 a month. I'm like, really? And I bought a house and a car and a, you know, it's like, wow. But things have changed, haven't they? But this is about what it was worth. So when we look at the parable, there's a couple things. This woman could have been poor, probably was, and this was something important to her. Or the other thing that could be going on is it was very common in that region for women to get as a wedding gift a, a thing that went under their head that had those 10 coins on it. It was almost like a wedding ring. So, so imagine if you lost your wedding ring, how much of a panic you'd be in. So when this woman loses one of her coins... She didn't just go, oh, well, you know, I got nine more. Or she didn't go, well, you know what, I'm just going to go hungry a day earlier. She was probably poor and didn't have much of a margin. But when you lose something of value, it's a panic, you know, and particularly you late, you know, us guys, most of us guys, I don't know how this works out, but we typically just get a band. I told Robin, I said, I'm getting you diamonds. I want a diamond too. So I got little bit diamonds here, you know, it's really cool. It wasn't real expensive, but... If I lost it, I would be, it'd be terrible. Well, that's where this woman is. So once the initial panic sets in and it kind of, you start thinking, what do you do when you lose something of value? You begin the search. You think, where did I put it? Where did I put it? And it got so bad with my keys, with my office keys and, my, and the shelter keys that I put an Apple tracker in my keys now so I can find those because I, don't, I got tired of misplacing them. And my wife would always say, well, if you knew, if you put them in the same place, and I'm like, well, I did, except this time. Uh, I said that to her one time when she lost something, went on her phone. I said, well, if you put them in the same, and I thought, hey, you know, I better back off. <laughs> you know, I've gotten a little older and a little wiser. 
I can't tell you how many times I've misplaced something. Now, the good news is it's always going to be in the last place you look. But um, anyway, if you don't think about that, it makes sense. Um, my men's group, I'm in a covenant group with, with, with four other gentlemen in ministry, and one of the guys got us a leather bracelet, okay? And it wasn't super expensive. It wasn't expensive, but it was to remind us to pray for one another. And I loved it. I was wearing it all the time, and I always put it on my bedside table until I didn't. And I lost it. It wasn't anything expensive, but it had value to me. I still think one of my cats carried it off. I don't or my wife moved it and is messing with me, I'm not sure. But I have looked and looked and looked, and then every once in a while I think, wait, did I look here? And so I do another search, and I've not, I've not been able to find it. Um, man, I'll tell you, when we lose something, and I'm still sad about it, by the way, I keep hoping it'll turn up. You search and search and you don't find. Once this woman realizes that she lost this coin, now the coin didn't lose itself, she was being careless, she misplaced it. Or it could have possibly just fall, if she's wearing it as, a, as a, that, it would have maybe it fallen off. She didn't know it. And by the way, that brings us to something that we really need to think about. And this will come up a little bit later in the message is this, this issue of community. This issue of community. We know within the, talking in the context of the church, you know, last week we talked about the sheep who wandered off. And that doesn't just apply to people who've wandered away from the church, but it's dealing with, with everybody that's lost. And the same with this coin. We should notice when somebody is lost. We should notice when someone's not with us. And it's up to us as a church family. It'd be like in your own family, if your kid didn't come home, now some of you are like, oh, thank you. But uh, you know, if your kid didn't come home, you wouldn't just say, oh, I don't know, I didn't notice it. A week later, the kid's still, I didn't notice it. You know, the police come after a month, well, I didn't notice that my seven, seven-year-old wasn't at home. I don't know what happened to that little evil thing. But we would notice because we have a family. We're a church family. And we're, we're responsible for one another in a sense. We should know when one of us is hurting. We should know when one of us is drifting away. We shouldn't be careless with, with the souls of people. Now, once this woman realizes what had happened, what she do? She sweeps, she lights a candle, lights a light. She's looking, and they had dirt floors more than likely in that. And can you imagine sweeping a dirt floor? But that's what she did. She started sweeping. She thought, well, maybe the dirt covered it. I'm going to try to find it. She went to all this effort. Now, the woman had nine other coins. What's the big stinking deal? But the, they were valuable to her. When you see lost people in your life, what effort are you willing to expend to seek them and find them and help try to bring them to Jesus? What do, we, do we just say, ah, it's no big deal. There's millions more. In the parable of the lost sheep, it represented a scene in the country the mention of sheep, the shepherds, that would have had an appeal to the men in the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Now, in this particular scenario, this goes into something that's going on in the house. A lot of times women had a small treasury in the house so they could take care of some bills as they came up. But this parable would have been more interesting to the women present because they could relate to it a little bit more than the guys could. But what this woman lost part of her jewelry, part of her, maybe her substance, it was gone. She had a sense of panic. She's frantically looking. Do we have a sense of panic over all the lost people around us? When you lose something valuable, you have a sense of urgency. You lose your wallet, you're looking for it. You lose your keys, you're looking for them. Do we have that same sense of urgency, that sense of calling to try to reach out to those who are lost? 
And by the way, this woman put great, forth great effort to find this coin. She didn't just sit in the chair and say, well, I lost it. Man, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and it's just going to show up in my hand. She knew she was going to have to work to find it. And reaching lost people is not easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of prayer. Who are you praying for right now that's lost? Who are you putting forth the effort to try to bring them to Jesus? Is it something that you're even thinking about? Speaking of a church, you know churches die all the time. You know why they die? Because they lose their passion for reaching lost people. When a church dies, it's not because Jesus killed it. It's because they lose their sense of mission. Because they're so comfortable where they are and with who they're with. You know, we talked about that last week. I was, hey, are you comfortable? When we get too comfortable and we get too used to things and we, we tend to forget why we're here, we're here to reach people and to teach people. The mission at First Christian Church is changing lives by connecting people with Christ. And so the only way we're going to really change lives is connecting them with Jesus. Part of that initially is baptizing them into Christ. But then after that, the real work begins. The new birth begins there. That's when life begins. Just like the woman, we may experience panic and fear when we feel lost or disconnected from God. But do we feel that same thing when we see other people who are having that disconnect? And I know we can't make people come to Jesus. It's not like it is in some of the other countries where they put a gun to your head and you're going to fall or you're going to die. We don't do that. But we have people that don't know the Lord. We need to think about them. Let's look at verse 9. When she found the coin, she calls together all of her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So, now we move to a time of celebration. This is very similar to the parable of the lost sheep. When the shepherd comes carrying that sheep back on on his neck, he calls all of his friends and say, Look what I found. The joy of finding something is so abundant that it cannot be contained. One person alone is not a celebration. Man, you're going to celebrate. You need to have a lot of people with you. And so this is what this woman did. She was going to celebrate. I found it. I found it. And it should be a big celebration. And what's interesting is when you consider the crowd and what Jesus was trying to do at the end of these parables, he's basically kind of hitting the the Pharisees right between the eyes. And he's telling them, this woman found a lost coin. You should be part of the people. You should be part of the celebration, but instead you sit back and find a nitpick and you complain and you find every excuse you can not to bring joy, not to have joy over the situation. And he's telling them, you should be part of that crowd. But they weren't. Why? Because they weren't engaging with these people. See, Christians, in order for us to reach lost people, we're going to have to try to have meaningful relationships with people who don't know the Lord. That's so important. Often, though, in the church, the opposite happens. We get so ingrained, and all of our friends that we have are from church, and it's great to have friends from church. We're family. But if we don't have an impact on other people's lives, we can't impact them. See, we draw away from the multitude sometimes because we're afraid of rejection, being made fun of, all these other things. We have to engage people. Think about this for a minute. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, pretty much everybody wanted to be like them. Now, I don't think they knew what was inside of them, or they probably wouldn't have. But these religious leaders had a great opportunity to really change people's lives. I love baseball, and when I was a boy, man, if, if Nolan Ryan would have, if I'd have gone to a ball game, Nolan Ryan comes up to me and says, man, I want to be your pen pal, we're going to communicate, I'm going to teach you some things, I would have just, I'd have jumped off the building if he told me to, because I'm like, wow, this is somebody I look up to, 
they're investing in me. Well, imagine if the religious leaders, instead of staying back and saying, you stinking sinners, you tax collectors, you nasty people, I don't want to get dirty, ugh, yuck, I don't even want to breathe your air. Imagine if they would have said, you know what, I'm going to go sit down with these tax collectors. I'm going to develop a relationship with these sinners. Imagine how many lives they could have changed. Instead of glad-handing and patting each other on the back and talking about, good thing we're not like that person. <laughs> you see, see what I mean? And as a church, we can't just glad-hand one another and pat each other on the back and say, hey, well, I'm glad we're not like those law. I can't believe those people. We need to be involved in their lives. Think about how you got here. I bet it was because somebody was involved in your life. Somebody just wandered through the door. You know, they blindly tripped in and fell through the door and the building didn't fall in. They said, okay, I'll stay here. But generally, somebody developed a relationship with you. And the thing that we need to understand is to capture lost people, to help bring them to Christ. I mean, capture, that's kind of weird. We're going to capture them and bring them. But to bring lost people in, evangelism requires time and energy just like the shepherd's search and just like the woman's search. I had a friend of mine that I worked with, and I sat next to him at the, at the company every, for a day, you know, all the time, five, six, you know, five days a week and sometimes six. And, and the, re, the way I got into his life is he loved music, and so he started hearing some of the music I listened to, and he'd never heard it before because it was Christian. And he loved the beats and everything, and so I got him to listening to it, and it, it changed him. It opened him up. But if I had just looked at him and said, well, you know, he doesn't go to church. <laughs> Nothing to do with him. Never would have had that opportunity. Sometimes our searches take years. Years. Our Lord calls us to get among people and to build relationships that allow us to draw other people. You know, I know in, in my wife's family, her mother and father, she prayed for them for years. And finally, a few years before they, before they passed on, I was able to baptize them into Christ. And my brother-in-law prayed for years and thanks to her wife and, and a lot of prayers, my brother-in-law is a, is a, belongs to Jesus. And it's just wonderful to see. It didn't happen like this. See, a lot of times they say, well, I'm going to try to reach this person. Well, five minutes are up. They're not a Christian. So, well, I guess I failed. No, you got to keep praying and you got to keep working. And this is part of the reason why there's a celebration when it's all done. Not only are we celebrating the fact that this person's in Christ now, but we're celebrating all of the prayer and all the work and all the effort that went into helping them get to that point. See, what's interesting here when you think about it, this woman who lost the coin was most likely poor. But what did she do? She really did something that was kind of dumb if you think about it. She called all of her friends together to celebrate. Now, this was going to cost her money. She may spend more on the celebration than the coin was worth. But from an economic point of view, what she's doing is a folly. But see, the parable's not about economics. It's about something greater. It's about God's grace. And perhaps the folly of God's grace, that instead of saying, you know, I got this many people in the fold, I got the 99 sheep, the folly could be that, well, but I want the one. I want the one. And the folly could be when he looked at me and said, you know, you're a dirtbag. I don't know why I want you. I got all these other people, but the folly is, no, I want you. And no matter how far you are away, he wants you. He wants you to experience his grace, and we need to celebrate that recovery when it's accepted. The other thing is the joy of God has no price tag. It has no price tag. The parable also teaches us that we may not consider, that, that something that we don't think about, and I mentioned this before, the importance of community. 
What did this woman do when she had a, a positive thing? She called other people in to celebrate with her. One of the things, we, at our church, we baptize people whenever they're ready. I love it on Sunday in the sense that we get to celebrate together. I don't mind doing them Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever, but the great thing is when we can do it in front of everybody, the celebration. I don't generally see people saying, oh, man, we're going to get out of here five minutes late. The Baptists are going to beat me down there to the buffet. All the good food's going to be gone before I get to the Chinese buffet that we ate at Friday. Uh, I don't do that. People are like, hallelujah, we're joyful because we're seeing a new life before us. Or it's like when, when a mother has a baby, people are going, oh, gosh, really? No, we're, oh, look how cute that is. You know, you know even at the shelter, we got all these kittens, man. I'm, I can't wait to go see these new ones tomorrow. It's awesome because you got all these wonderful little kittens. It's a, oh, gosh, she popped out more kittens. Now, she ain't going to do any more because we'll get her fixed. But, but there's joy in, in new life. There's joy in new life. So this woman understands that. We need to be here to encourage and to support one another and to celebrate our victories and to mourn our defeats together because our defeats will eventually become victories. And let's not forget the joy of being found in the, in the loving arms of God when we've been away from that. When we feel lost and disconnected from God, we have to remember that he never disconnected from us. He's always there looking and seeking. And when we're found, there's a great celebration. Let's look at verse 10. <clears throat> and then he finishes this parable. He says, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So that brings us to our final observation. It's a time for joy. The parable reminds us that God searches for us relentlessly, even when we don't realize it. And then he rejoices when we're found. He doesn't say, well, it's about time, loser. I've done so much of this for you. I can't believe it took you so long. No, there's joy in heaven. No matter how lost or insignificant you feel, you are valuable to God, and he never gives up on you. In the parable, the woman did not give up until she found the coin. In the previous parable, the, man did not, the shepherd did not give up until he found the sheep. Similarly, God does not give up on you. He searches for you relentlessly, and when you're found, he rejoices. But what I want us to do here is I want us to see in, in this time of joy, I want us to look at something in verse 10 that was also in the passage last week, but I didn't cover and I did it on purpose. Um, something that is a key to our walk with Jesus. It's a key for us coming to Jesus. And it's this issue that's found in both parables at the very end of them. It's this issue that when it's mentioned, it brings prominent, excuse me, when it's, issue, when it's mentioned, it brings heavenly celebration of joy, and it's repentance. Repentance is a crucial, crucial issue in one giving their life to Jesus. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of self, I should say, including the heart and the mind, that abandons its former dispositions and results in a new life. It has new behavior and regret over the former behavior and former dispositions. So in other words, Repentance. We talk a lot about faith, which we should. We talk a lot about baptism, which we should. We even talk about confession, which we should. But sometimes I feel like conf that repentance gets kind of lost in the shuffle. And what's important about repentance is it says, I'm coming to Jesus knowing I need to change, knowing that I've sinned against whoever else, but more importantly, against God. If I'm abusive to my wife, I'm sinning against her. But more importantly, I'm sinning against God first and then against my wife. And many times I've seen troubled marriages 
And what happens is, even if one person's 80% responsible, the other's 20, both parties look at it and say, you know, I don't have to change. I've done nothing wrong. Or the person who's been married multiple times, let me, let me share something with you. If you've had multiple marriage problems, generally the problem is you because you're taking what you had from the previous issue, marriage, and thinking, man, if I just get the right person, it'll be okay. And then when that doesn't work, well, if I just get the right person, that will be okay. If I just get the right person, it'll be okay. And the problem isn't with the other person, it's with you. It's with you. Now, guys who beat women, that's a different story. But it's with you because you've taken the same issues. You're not looking at your life and saying, you know what, I gotta change something. It's a, when it's somebody else's fault, you don't have to change. And I see marriages, if, you want, if you're in a problem marriage right now, and we're getting ready to do Art of Marriages next week, and if you haven't signed up, you've got a couple more days. It is well worth your time to do it. But the thing is, if you're in a problem marriage, the, the way to 100% fix it, 100% fix it, actually two things, forgiveness, you've got to be willing to forgive, but the second one is repentance. No matter if my wife's 80% responsible for the problems, I have to repent of my ways and say, I need to change. If I come into it that way and say, but, but, and always have a reason for why I'm having horrible behavior, I'm never going to change. And she would have to do the same thing. She'd have to say, you know what, no matter if, Jeff, you're 80%, well, probably 95%, okay, 99% of the problem, I'm going to change. I need to change. I need to bring something different to the table. If you have two couples that are willing to forgive each other and, and repent, that marriage is going to work, and it's going to be beautiful. But if either one keeps wanting to blame the other for all their problems, it's never going to change. It's not going to work. And the same when we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, yeah, we need to have faith in him. We need to confess him. We need to be baptized in him. But you know what? If you don't have repentance, where you look at your life, no matter how good or how bad it was, and say, you know what? Lord, I have sinned against you. I need to change. You know somebody who confused me more than anybody in Scripture? David. David. He gave me so many problems. I'm like, wait a minute, this dude committed adultery. This dude sent her husband out to die in battle. And he did a bunch of other things, but yet the Bible tells us that God said, there's a man after my own heart. So, oh, you want a murdering adulterer? Well, I guess I could do that. I really don't want to, but I mean, I want to be after your heart, God. But what I finally figured out, and we talked about this a little bit in our Bible study the other day, what set David apart is when he got busted for what he did, he didn't say, well, God, if you hadn't made Bathsheba so stinking hot, I wouldn't have looked at her. You know, it's your fault. You created her, kind of like, remember Adam and Eve? <laughs> you know how that went down? David didn't do that. David wasn't just sorry he got caught. He was sorry he sinned against God. Now, I firmly believe that when he was in the midst of all that, he knew he was doing wrong. He knew he was doing wrong. And sometimes we know we're doing wrong, but the desire to do wrong is so strong that we kind of forget everything else. But when he got busted, he was like, okay, I've sinned against you, God. He didn't blame anybody else. He said, I sinned against you. And that was his key. That's why God blessed him. And you know what really freaked me out about them? David and Bathsheba, their child died, but guess who was king of Israel after David? Solomon. And Solomon was one of David and Bathsheba's kids. And I'm thinking, God, why are you blessing him in any way? Look what he did. But you know what that shows us? How forgiving our God is. And how God took something that wasn't good and made something wonderful. Solomon was the greatest king ever, probably that's ever existed. And, and God used him. And so your life's never too much of a shambles for God to use. You're never too lost to be found. 
And the thing we have to realize is, if we come into the baptistry without repentance, I'll give you an example. My wife and I were dating. My wife was a Christian. I wasn't. She was a fairly new Christian. And later on, she told me, she said, Jeff, if you hadn't become a Christian, I wouldn't have married you. Now, if she'd have told me that before everything went down, I'm telling you what, I'd have jumped in that water in a second because the first date I wanted that, that was going to be my wife. She was either going to marry me or I was going to stalk her the rest of her life. You know, it was her, it was her choice. So I'm glad she took the marriage because stalking could get me in jail. And I, you know, probably shouldn't joke. I know there's, I don't mean to make light of that. But the thing is, um, she, um, if she'd have told me that, I'd have done anything. But I wouldn't have repented. I'm just jumping in there so she'd marry me. See, you see what I'm saying? When you came to Christ, why? If you're thinking about coming to Christ, why? I came to Christ because I had been sinning against God and I needed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I needed to change. I needed God to cleanse me of my sins. I needed to be a new creation. It wasn't to gain anything other than, other than to do what God told me I needed to do. We emphasize faith and baptism a lot, but let's not push out repentance. Paul writes this. He says, For sadness is intended by God, intended by God produces repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But worldly sadness brings about death. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this for you. There's a difference between being sorry you got caught and being sorry that you sinned against God. Sorry you got caught brings about death because you're never going to change. Prisons are full of them. Sorry that you sinned against God brings forth repentance, which leads to salvation. Without repentance, there's no salvation. Jesus, in the previous parable, spoke of the 99 who didn't need repentance. This directly applied to the religious leaders, but it also applies to those who think that they don't need God because they really haven't sinned. The act of repentance includes knowing you need to change and you need a new direction in life. And both those passages, you notice what it says? There's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. doesn't say when they come to faith, which is part of it. doesn't say when they confess, when they repent. Because without repentance, everything else is empty. Everything else is empty. Well, as we think about the ending of this, this particular, uh, and this leads into next week's stuff that Jerry's going to be doing with the prodigal son. There'll be a lot of some of the same themery. Um, you need to remember that you're not just one of billions you're the one, and God wants you. And when we have people in our life that are lost, we can't say, well, you know, God's got enough. Heaven's going to be kind of crowded. We need to understand that God wants that one that's lost, and we need to do everything that we can to help bring them. There's joy in the search. There's joy in finding. We need to share the heart of God with people. You know, what we don't do is grab people by the scruff of their neck and start jamming a Bible down their throats. It doesn't work. You know, there was a day when you used to go door to door and knocking on doors, and when I first started going to church, we did, you know, we had some of that. That stuff hasn't worked for decades. You know why? No relationships. Because people today don't want to hear, they don't give a rip about what you have to say until they know that you care for them. This is why we don't waste time knocking on doors because you're way. Think of it. For some of us are older. When somebody came to the house, we were excited. Wow, somebody's coming over. Now today, it's like Robin, get the guns, get down, you know, get the get, get the nice go. These what are these people doing at my house? You know, it's so different. And imagine if you feel that way about somebody. You know, about people coming to your house. Imagine how people who don't know you would feel if you come beating on their door. You know, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. 
And we got dudes on bikes that do that, and people are like, get away. You know, you won't win people to Christ. You might win one in a million, maybe, maybe. Relationships. We've got to develop relationships with people. And they need to see the heart of Jesus in us. And then they need to see that we genuinely care for them as human beings. And then they'll listen, and we'll see what happens. The big point for this morning's message is we are called to reach out to lost souls, and there will be joy in heaven when they're found. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and sing a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. Jesus didn't die on the cross just for show. He died on the cross so you could have eternal life. He didn't die on the cross because, like, yeah, I want some people in heaven. He died on the cross because he loves you. The world tells you all kinds of stuff about you that is absolutely not true. No matter what the world thinks of you or says about you, God doesn't see you that way. Well, you don't understand. I was living my life. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Come to Jesus. He's been waiting for you. So if you need to make a decision for Christ, we will invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision. If you've been immersed into Christ, baptized as an adult or a teen, and you want to become a part of the First Christian family, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling, you need some prayer. If you want to come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we sing the song of decision together.
God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. Let the church live loud, our God will say, we believe, we believe. And the gates of hell will not prevail, for the power of God has torn the veil. Now we know your love will never fail, we believe, we believe. We believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back, He's coming back again. He's coming time of our, our time together we take time to have communion and during this time we're remembering all the things in that song is just beautiful and how Jesus went to that cross and he died for our sins so that we could have eternal life and this the cup that we take represents his blood that was shed on that cross so that our sins could be forgiven and that cup the bread represents his body that took the punishment that we deserve and what's amazing about that is the Bible tells us while we we're yet sinners Christ died for us and a lot of times we conditionally love people. If you do this, I'll love you. If you do that, I'll love you. But from, from the salvation point of view, Jesus didn't say, if you clean up your act and stop doing what you're doing, I'll love you. He says, I love you. And when you come to Christ, things will change. You'll be a new creation. So as we take our communion this morning, examine your heart and just ask yourself, have I given myself fully over to him? What do I need to do to get closer to him? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this time that we can celebrate this time of communion, to celebrate the death, the burial, the resurrection, the seating at the right hand of your son, Jesus. And we can celebrate that because of his sacrifice that was motivated by his love, that we can have eternal life through him. Lord, as we take these elements this morning, Lord, help us to, to keep our focus on you. And Lord, to commit to growing closer to you each and every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. Uh, Jerry has all of his activities today. Roger's group is meeting this evening. We've got Sisters of Love. Jules has the LOL group meeting this week. We have all of our Bible studies going on. Um, Friday begins our first uh, sessions of the Art of Marriage. If you signed up for that, it begins at 7. So if you want to get here about 6.30 or somewhere between there, just get here before 7. Uh, we, we, for those who need child care, we have that set up for Friday night and for Saturday. And we'll be going into Saturday also from 9 to 3.30. If you haven't signed up yet, you still have the opportunity. Uh, we're shutting off sign-ups tomorrow. So if you want to do that, we can get in. Food pantry still looking for uh, non-perishable items. And you can see that information. Also, Operation Christmas Child is looking for things. Our next narrow path group, uh, we're going to be going Saturday, May 13th. It may be on a trail unknown. We're not sure yet. But it's going to be on the backside of the Wachukas. And, uh, and people ask me, will my vehicle get scratched? Yes. So just, Yes. We'll probably only do one or two that don't get some scratching. I'll be shocked if we do. But anyway, make sure you bring water and a sack lunch, and there's a sign-up sheet for that. Karenette's having their walk for life, so make sure that you uh, uh, keep that onto your calendar also. By the way, all of our events should be on the church calendar on our website, the Google calendar on the website, so you can always keep up to date. And usually if there's a sign-up sheet, it's always attached to the event. So... May 6th, the next spam, I mean spa event, will take place in the building next door to us at what time? 10? 10 a.m. So uh, that's coming up very quickly. So make, and they'll put more information out about that. All right, at this time, that's all of our announcements. Let's stand together and go to the Lord in prayer. And we ask that you take note of all the prayers that we have, a praise. I got to see Ken Martin yesterday, and he looked, considering what he's been through, he looked really good. And if you would like to go visit with him, I'm sure he would love a visit and um, we've got a lot of other people we've been praying for. Those are in the bulletin, so make sure you take that tab home with you. Father, we thank you that we could come together this morning to worship. And Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity that you give us to take our hearts to you in prayer. And I pray, Lord, that everything that we, everyone we've mentioned in the bulletin and all the situations we have there, that we know that you'll be working through them. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, we leave with a passion for reaching lost souls because someone had a passion for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.